Finishing the five solas series, the kind of five pillars, the five core beliefs of the Reformation, and in a lot of ways, though, really the five core pillars of our salvation, of Christianity, of Scripture, faith, grace, Christ, and to the glory of God alone. We're going to wrap it up with, to God be the glory and the glory to Him alone. And as I began to kind of chew on this, I mean, they're not linear, but I do feel like there is a bit of a progression to this as we wrap it up this week. So, I mean, Martin Luther and going into the Reformation, what truly sparked it, the foundation of it is that, and remember, alone is the key, is that Scripture alone, God's Word alone, has to be the ultimate guide of truth. And once he got there, he turned to God's Word and says, okay, what does it tell us? What is God, and this is all about, how are we right with God? What does God himself say of how we could be at peace and in a perfect relationship with him? And he, and not discovered, but rediscovered the gospel. It is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. So many people go to church because they need to get right with God. And they think, if I do enough kind of religious things, go through enough religious hoops, try to be a good enough person, then I will earn God's love. Maybe then God will love me. And Luther discovered the amazing majesty of the gospel. Listen, I don't care how many times you've heard it, hear it from me again, that you don't have to be good enough for God to love you. Jesus, we receive his salvation by grace. It's a gift. We put our faith in him. We don't have to earn it. And God forgives us because of the cross. And you are right with God by putting your faith in Jesus, not by earning it, working for it. You are loved by God as his adopted child. And now as we come to the final one, again, that's where I feel like it's a little bit of progression. If that is true, that it is by Christ alone and putting our faith in him that we are saved, well then, to God, to the glory, glory be to God alone. And in some ways, it's just kind of, a natural outpouring. Who, you know, let's give credit where credit's due. Who did the work? That's who deserves the credit. We all intuitively understand this, and I know you agree with this, because when that is violated, that drives us up a wall. You ever been in a place, I don't care if you got to go back to high school or any time in your job, did you ever work really hard at something? Did you ever have an idea at work and then somebody takes that idea and they get credit for the idea that you did? Like, like I don't care if it's just, I mean, you're telling me if you ever have a supervisor, you do all this work and then he presents it to the boss and he gets all the credit for your work. I mean, that is like the worst feeling in the world. Many overstated, like burning alive. It's got to be bad too. But it's like, it's got to be one of the worst feelings, right? Whenever somebody takes your credit, I mean, we understand, no, we need to give credit where credit's due. That's why there's copyright law. That's why plagiarism, why it irks all of us. 
The person that does the work should receive the honor, and that's what we're dealing with here. If Christ alone did the work, well, then Christ alone should receive the glory and honor, should receive the credit. So that would, that's what brings us to soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And what was happening, why is this such a pillar? The glory of God was being robbed from him because the church at the time was saying, not just Christ alone, you need Christ, but you also need the church and you need to go through these religious steps and you need your priest and you need, and they added to it, and again, they were claiming that they're doing some of the work to save you. And so therefore they were receiving honor and praise. And it was the, the ch people were praising the church, praising the Pope, praising the priests, Mary, saints, whatever it was. And I still have seen it to this day. I mean, being raised Catholic, there was a massive gathering of like Catholic youth from all over the world. I was about 10 or 11 and I got to go on this trip. I'm not going to lie to you. It was just a free trip to Europe. So I went, I didn't really care, but I got to go to Europe to visit. And it was the craziest thing. I mean, the amount of people, it's, it wasn't even like an every year gathering. It was like every couple of years. It was like the Catholic Olympics of the world. Everybody gathered together. There was like a million people that kind of descended on Paris so we could see and hear from the Pope. I'd never seen so many people in my life. I remember at 10 or 11, I was just like taking shots of, of the crowd because they said there was like a million people there. I didn't take multiple shots because I was like 11. It was a disposable camera. So it was more like, remember to crank when you had to crank the disposable camera? You remember that one? You And then you just throw it away. And then he had to swim one. It was an underwater disposable. Those were awesome. So we're talking. There was like a million people here. And I happened to be kind of right against the railing. And then finally, after we visit all the sites, went to all these religious places, we were going to see the Pope. And he starts rolling down. And so he's behind this like army of cardinals. It was like a military parade. These, you know, I don't know, 100 cardinals just coming down before him. Just, I kept waiting for the Remember the Titans. Just like, I mean, they were just rolling. And he's behind them. And this is dead serious. Do you know what the Pope drives? Anybody know the name? Pope mobile. That's dead serious. That's what they call it. He's in the Pope mobile driving behind. It's this like glass, you know, bulletproof golf cart. And he, that's what it is. The Pope mobile. If I was the Pope, I'd have like a sweet, like Batmobile, like hook me up. I don't want a golf cart, but he comes around. And as he passes, like thousands of people, I happen to be right against the rail, just I mean, slam against my back. And people were screaming, cheering, and crying. I remember turning around and seeing a dude just in tears. Like, that's the Pope. That's like the priest of all priests. And they are bawling and sobbing and screaming. If you were to like Photoshop that crowd, take out the Pope, you could have put Bono or Bieber or whatever, K-pop. I don't know what everybody's listening to these days, but the it that was the feel. It was like an insane rock concert, and we were, make no bones about it, worshiping and glorifying the Pope. At 11 years old, I'm sitting around looking at these people crying like, that was 
was him. I'm like, really, the guy in the white hat? Like, yeah, I saw him. At 11 years old, I understood something's not right. Why are we glorifying and worshiping a man? Shouldn't God alone receive the glory? And that's what Luther experienced. There was the glory of man, the glory of the religious system, and it was robbing God of his glory. But here's the deal. And here's some of my fear, our fears of this series. Our hope isn't to just slam a people group. Our hope isn't to just, you know, make all the big bad Catholics. Thank goodness for Luther. And then now we can get you to be so impressed with Luther. We would have failed miserably if you come out of this glorifying Luther for what he's done. Our only hope is so you could see God and understand how to have a relationship with him and give him all of the glory. Because maybe you're sitting there, maybe you were raised Catholic and you've been a little offended. You could respond, well, yeah, okay, the church isn't perfect, but neither was Luther. Luther did some messed up stuff. Luther wasn't perfect, and I'd respond, yeah, I know. Man, I don't want to hear my echo yell out. No. <laughs> I'm going to turn it down. But our hope isn't to now glory in Luther. And I'll say that to you, I remember studying it for one of the first times. Luther said some messed up stuff. But our hope isn't in Luther. Our hope is in God. And I think God moved through him in mighty ways. But it's not to just transfer, okay, now they're the bad guy. Now here's our champion. We got one champion, and I'll give you a hint. It ain't Luther. And so even the fact that there are Lutherans is kind of ironic. Like, it's all about God's glory. Okay, we're Lutheran. We'll follow Luther. Like, no, the whole thing is Jesus. That's what it is about. Listen to it from the words of Scripture. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Who are we supposed to exalt? Who deserves the credit? Where's the credit due? God. Everything is from him and for him. Don't just believe it because I said it. Let's look what the scriptures say. Is it really to glory to God alone? Isaiah 48, 11. For my own sake, for my own, this is God speaking. For my own sake, I do it. For how should, should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. This is God saying, no one should be glorified, only me. God doesn't say it because he's catty. He says it because it's true and appropriate. He's the one that deserves all of your praise. And I'll be honest with you. This was, a, this was probably the most difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around. Because if I were to ask you, hey, you know, tell me what the Bible is, you know, most people would probably be able to, I'll get close to a good definition. If I ask you what grace is, you'd probably be able to have some kind of definition. You could define Christ. But I had two kind of major issues with this. And some wrapping my head around, if I were to ask you to define glory, how would you define that? It is rhetorical. Somebody almost answered first service, like put their hand up. No. Just, just think for yourself. If I were to ask you right now, how would you define glory? Man, that is a hard concept to grasp. 
And I heard it put this way by a pastor. It's kind of like trying to define beauty. If somebody asked you, what is beauty? What would you say? I recognize it. Like, I don't know, like my wife, like I don't, the, the mountains, like how do you describe beauty? There's a totality to it as we understand God's glory. It's a difficult thing to define when we're looking at what is glory. There are two aspects I think that are key to grasp. And this was part of the hangup. So we're talking about the glory of God. We're talking about just intrinsically, like who God is. We're saying God's glory. We're saying the totality. It is all of his greatness. It is everything that makes God, God, that's his glory. His love, justice, mercy, all of it is his glory. But yet there is another side of the glory of God, not just who he is, but it is our response to his glory. Our exalting him is part of the glory of God, our reflecting that. So he illuminates who he is, but yet we reflect back and exalt him as glorious. I'm going to help you wrap your head around that. You know, let me think, think of another question. Can God's glory increase or decrease? Can it fluctuate? All of you are half right. And I don't care if you said yes or no, because the answer is yes and no. Because the two aspects of it, in the sense, can God be more majestic, more loving? Can God in all his glory increase or decrease? Of course not. Like God and who he is does not change. Now, can the amount that he is exalted and can his reputation in this world change? You bet. How else can he say, you know, I will not share my glory with another if people aren't stealing part of his glory? So we're talking about the glory of God. We're talking about all of who God is and his presence in this world, but are exalting him to the glory of God. So you kind of got to keep both of those things in mind. And so as we're trying to define glory, I want to look at some scriptures together. Exodus 16.10. So what is the glory of God? And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. So they're wanting to see God and God shows up in the wilderness in a cloud. Let's look at this one together. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So God's people built kind of this tabernacle. It's kind of like, think of just like the, the church back in the day. And as they prayed, God's glory literally filled the temple. And it said there was like a cloud. So what is the glory of the Lord? Is it a cloud? Is that it? Let's look at one more verse together. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I heard one pastor really kind of bring this out because you'd almost, instead of glory, expect him to say holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his holiness, right? Because that's what he is. But when we talk about glory, 
It is when God becomes visible. It is when we see the invisible God, and whether it be a cloud or fire, you know, when God shows up to the point you can see him, that is kind of glory and glorification. So God is utterly holy. That's who he is. And when God shows up, what we see of God, that is his glory. This is where I kind of took a stab at a definition. The glory of God. It is the magnifying of the magnificence of God. And you see both aspects. What is God's glory? It is all that makes him great. It is all his godness. But yet it is when it becomes visible and it is magnified and exalted. That is the glory of God. This is how I've always remembered. When I think of glory, I think of glowing. Think of when Moses' face glowed with the glory of God. When God becomes visible, you're in the category of God's glory. And then it is our job to magnify the magnificent God. That is what we are dealing with when we talk about the glory of God. The other thing that I found a little bit difficult about this passage, not this passage, but this topic in particular, is one, you know, glory is a hard thing to grasp. But two, I think kind of the initial onset of this issue is probably the furthest removed from our current context. Like if we look at the question, okay, so what does that mean for us today? You know, for them, how did this issue come about in the Reformation? Okay, the church, the Pope, saints, they were kind of taking some of God's glory and honor from him. But is that just our only takeaway as we sit here today? Okay, make sure... You know, you're not giving Mary too much honor to take it away from God. I'm guessing in this room, that's probably not our biggest issue is overly glorifying the Pope. I don't think he's the biggest competitor to God's glory in our lives. You know, I think the biggest competitor to God's glory in our lives, it is us. If anybody is going to rob God of its glory, it's going to be you and me. I think that is our biggest threat to people exalting God is our obsession and our brokenness that makes us want people to exalt ourselves. This idea of glory, this I, the worthiness, the word actually means weightiness. Like only God is worthy and is so weighty. And it got me thinking about even just our solar system and gravity. Like only God, like the sun, is big enough to sustain our solar system, to, to sustain, you know, all the planets to revolve around it. I tried to get a prop. You know that solar system that all of us made in eighth grade? Well, your mom made that you turned in and stole her glory. I actually... <laughs> I contacted some schools to get one, but apparently they stopped making those in like 1990, I guess. I could not find a solar system. So imagine a solar system. See, only God is worthy to be able to sustain the solar system to revolve around him. What happens if the sun doesn't have enough glory, if it doesn't have enough weightiness? Our, our solar system would collapse. 
We are not meant to sustain people to revolve around us and worship us. But in our broken state, we were designed to just exalt God and give him credit. And when sin entered in, we broke. And we went from a heliocentric to a geocentric. I checked Wikipedia to make sure I got it right. But they, for a while, they thought, the, what? The, the solar system revolved around the earth. They thought the solar system revolved around us. And that's our broken condition. We want everything to revolve around us. We think in all situations, what is happening to us is the most important issue. And what people think of us is the most important issue. You ever have your life revolve around something that doesn't have enough gravity to sustain you? I promise you, you will crush that thing or it will crush you. You ever live for a relationship and that was your son that you revolved around? That person, I don't care who they are, isn't worthy enough to sustain your worship. You will fall and crush them. And even when we try to you know, make ourselves the center of this world, I think we intuitively know we don't have the appropriate amount of glory that deserves that kind of worship. And in our broken state, that's where all of us are. You need to understand, God alone deserves the glory. And every single day, you and I are in a glory war. I heard that phrase from Paul Tripp, and it really stuck with me. Every day you wake up, you're in a glory war, and our biggest temptation is in our brokenness, we are glory thieves. Our default is to rob God of his glory because we are so consumed with getting praise and being exalted by other people as we try to muster up our own glory. You have a choice. Are you going to give God his appropriate glory? Are we going to be glory thieves and rob him of his appropriate honor so we can steal it for ourselves? The question is, what does that look like? I kind of, for me, work through those kind of two major issues, all right? What is God's glory? It is the magnifying of the magnificence of God. That is what it is to glorify God. But then what does that look like for us as we compete with God for his glory? Okay, God in the Old Testament showed up in a cloud. That's how he magnified himself, in a cloud and fire. God no longer reveals himself through a cloud. God revealed his glory through a baby. So what is it to glorify God? It's to glorify Christ. This is huge. Hebrews 1.3 is talking about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. This is huge to show, one, that Jesus is God. Because if God won't share his glory with another, if Jesus is the glory of God, that means Jesus is God. So when I'm saying magnify God, I'm not just saying like, hey, be cloudy and fiery. Like, no, what does it look like to magnify God? It's to show people Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God. That's one of my favorite little scenes is when the disciples ask Jesus, like, will you just show us the Father? Like, show us his glory. And I apologize because so often when I represent Jesus, 
Like I projected my frustration onto him. So anytime I'm talking about Jesus and you see frustration, that's me, not him. But if I was Jesus in that situation, you remember his answer? Like, show us the father. And he's like, bro, I'm right here. Like, if you see me, you've seen him. Now, again, he wasn't as frustrated as that, but I, like, that's how I picture it. Like, show us God's glory. He's like, ta-da! Like, I'm it. Like, Jesus, if you want to see God, see Jesus. So if we want to glorify God, what do we do? We glorify Jesus. That is what it means to glorify God. It's to magnify Christ. And to get in the practicals, okay, so what does that look like? What does that look like to magnify Jesus, to show people Jesus? I always laugh at the, like, do all things to the glory of God. Because, I, again, that's a hard thing to wrap our head around. Like, whether you eat or drink, like, all right, I'm going to drink this to the glory of God. Ah, like, what does that mean? So everything we do, what does that look like? And I think, I love that it gets, here's what I want you to take home. What does it look like to glorify God, to magnify him? How do we do that? We show people Jesus and we live for his reputation alone. Like that is the goal. To have people be able to see the majesty of God. What is that? That's Jesus. To show people the love and grace of Christ. And to do all of that for his renown, not our own. That is what I'm calling you to do. And that is the only worthy task at hand. Not showing people what a good guy or good person that you are. This is your goal. Let's look at some passages. What does that mean? And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Here's the deal. We're supposed to show them Jesus and his holiness. How do we do that? You grow in holiness. And I love it's from one degree to another. It's a process. So I'm not saying be holy or people can't see God. That's not what it says. To show people the glory of God, we grow in holiness. We grow so people, and it's not just don't sin. You know, sitting with somebody and they're struggling with not sleeping with their girlfriend. And I'm not just, don't sleep with your girlfriend, that's bad. No, the point isn't to just not do bad stuff. It's to show people Jesus. Like, that's the goal. Don't just sleep around because you're not supposed to. Show everybody you meet Jesus. Jesus doesn't come to you and take from you and use your body for his pleasure. I'm not saying that. That is clearly not what Jesus is. So when we fall in sin, it's like putting a little veil over God's glory. We make it just a little bit more difficult for people to see who Jesus is. That's the big deal. Not, oh, you did it again. You messed up. We need to have a greater goal than stop sinning. And that goal that we've been given is to show the world that there is a God that actually loves them, that doesn't use them. Now we mess up. And here is one of the perfect indicators of whose reputation are you after, yours or God's. Do you live a life of confession? We resist confession at every turn. Why? It makes me look bad to admit my faults. Do you know what confession does? It makes God look good. Do you have a practice of confession? 
If not, then you're tipping your hand. You are all about just impressing people with who you are. Grow in holiness. Show people how Jesus treated them. Don't just stop walking in sin. Look at this as well. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This isn't rocket science. We want people to see Jesus' love. Love people. Do good things for them. Do it not for your own glory. We don't take the credit. We give glory to the Father. I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm going to go back to one of the most basic principles of education. It's like back in kindergarten. What did we do? Show and tell. There's two parts of it. You show but you also tell. Like so often, we only do one or the other. You're going to tell people about Jesus in your life. You're a piece of work and don't show them any love. That's a bad misapplication of show and tell. But yet, so often, we've fallen back to just show them Jesus' love. You know what happens when you just show people Jesus' love, but don't tell them about Jesus? Who gets the glory? Me. Because I'm a great guy that cut my neighbor's lawn. Man, isn't my neighbor, isn't he a great guy? We show people love, and then we tell them why we're loving them, that it's not me, that it's God leading me to do such things. When Jesus talked about the hour hour that it is to glorify the Son, he was talking about, I mean, kind of like the apex of God's glory is his sacrificial love and grace. Are you going to glorify God? It's simpler than you think. Sacrificially love people, and then you tell them why you're doing it. It was so fun this week. Before I tell you guys to go do it, I always practice on myself first. But to just look for opportunities. Okay, am I out here trying to not sin? No, I'm out here trying to spread the reputation of Christ. So this week, just try it. In all situations, don't ask, well, what's right? What's wrong? Did they offend me? Should I get this? Just ask how can I make Jesus' reputation greater in this moment? Like, how in this moment can I just show Jesus, not justify myself? How can I, and it's easy, do something that's really hard and inconvenient for you that affirms somebody else and makes them feel valuable. Like, isn't that the cross? Jesus, at great cost to himself, loved you. Look for those opportunities. When you're at lunch, you're like, man, that's, that would be so inconvenient. I can't go do that for that person. Don't ask, is that inconvenient for you? Ask, in this moment, how can I make people see Jesus? Because that is the goal. And it's not just important so people can think you're a good guy. Remember, this is the point of all of it. So people can see God. That's your job. So people can see Jesus and have our opportunity to exalt him. Like, listen to the way it's in Romans. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is the great purpose for why you were created. Every testimony I ever read, people got to that point of, man, there was just something missing. 
This is your purpose. This is the thing missing in your life. If you're not doing this, helping people see God and exalt him, you're missing the purpose by which you were created to show people Jesus. Let that be your goal as you go about this week. Every moment, it's a glory war. Are you going to try to show people how funny, how witty, how whatever you are and impress them with you? Or are you in every moment going to say, God, how can, I, how can I have people see you? What, what can I do in this moment so people will go and be impressed with Jesus and see who he is and fight for his reputation? The greatest discipleship tool, and I'll just say that blanketly, that I've ever seen, the most famous discipleship tool in all of the church's history most people would probably come down to the Westminster Catechism. It was written 400 years ago, and it is still widely used to teach. Here are the core truths of God's word. This is 400 years old, and they put together 107 things that people must know. You don't want to know what the first one is? It was a question and answer format. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is the purpose for which you were created. To have people be able to see him, to enjoy God and his majesty, and to help other people see him as well. If you feel like your world is collapsing, there's a chance that you are revolving around something not worthy to be able to sustain you in your world. If you are robbing God of his glory and you are living for your own purpose and comfort and God's on the back burner, I promise you, your world will implode. You are not glorious enough to sustain the world around you. You were created to magnify God, to show people Jesus and enjoy him forever. Will you pray with me? Father, so many of us, God, we are glory thieves. Only you should be the center of our universe. I've heard so many times, so many of us have put you on the back burner. We've slid because of our broken sin into the center. And we really think the purpose of our lives is us. God, right now, God, I pray by your spirit, all of us would put you back into the place that only you deserve, that only you can sustain. Only you are worthy to be the center of our universe. And would we all experience the purpose for which we were created to show people Jesus so this world would be able to worship him as well. Father, we long to worship you now. In that name of Christ, we pray. Amen.